The Paso County DEC is providing this podcast as a public service in order to let you know more about the issues and ideas which Democrats have identified as being very important for voters and also to provide a forum for Democratic candidates for office. Our podcasts are open to anyone interested in how Pasco Democrats are dealing with the important issues of the day. You can check out our PascoDems.com website and also on Facebook, Pasco Dems, and the views expressed by the guest and host on our podcast are their own. Not the views of the Pasco County Democratic Executive Committee. Our guest today is Kara Fitzpatrick, the author of The Death of Public School, How Conservatives Won the War Over Education in America. Kara joined the Tampa Bay Times in 2012 and was an education reporter. She grew up in Washington State and graduated from the University of Washington and the Columbia Graduate School of Journalism, and she was a Spencer Education Reporting Fellow at Columbia in 2018. In 2016, she and Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Times reporters Lisa Gartner and Michael LaForgia won the Pulitzer Prize for local reporting for failure factories, a five-part investigation that traced the rapid decline of five elementary schools after the Pinellas County School Board abandoned integration efforts. That series was also honored with the George Polk Award for Education Reporting, the Worth Bingham Prize for Investigative Journalism, and the Investigative Reporters and Editors Model, and the Fred M. Heschender Grand Prize for Distinguished Education Reporting, among others. Now, she is married to Michael LaForgia, now an investigative reporter at the New York Times, and they have three children. And we welcome her here today. And here's Kara. We're going to be talking uh, with her today about a lot of things in terms of education. But first of all, for those of us in Pasco County, just to give you an idea, you have 103 schools, public schools, with 81,157 students. We have 13 charter schools with a total of 7,564 students. And we've got uh, 42 private schools with roughly 4,759. So that gives you some idea where we are in terms of Pasco County. Now, turning our attention back to Kara, uh, her book is called The Death of Public School, How Conservatives Won the War Over Education in America. So maybe we'll start to care of saying, why on earth did you ever start uh, uh, talking about education and thinking about it and so forth? Um, well, thank you for having me, first off. Um, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought too much about it. I've been covering education for, I think, about almost 20 years now. Mm-hmm. My, mom was a, my mom was a public school teacher when I was growing up. My sister is now, and I guess I just always thought that education was important and interesting and then once I got on the beat um, I just never really got tired of it there's always something new to learn and always something going on mm-hmm. so okay and now uh, did anything prompt you to get involved in terms of talking about public education and possibly the death of it what, what got you started with that well, I was a reporter in Florida for about 10 years covering schools there. And my, you know, my job was mostly to cover the school districts, but obviously school choice has been in Florida for a long time. And so I would cover some of those issues from time to time. And uh, and I didn't have a very good sense of where 
school choice had come from, where some of these concepts like school vouchers and charter schools had come from. Mm-hmm. And and I did um, a long 18-month uh, project about segregation in Pinellas County. Right. And... And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really about school choice at all, but it came up from time to time because what we, um, you know, the team of reporters found often from talking to families was that when they were trying to find a way out of these sort of uh, under-resourced, segregated, Mm -hmm. traditional public schools, they, you know, they would try some of these options that were available in Florida, you know, Mm -hmm. like a charter school or using a school voucher, um, you know, as a tax credit scholarship, really, uh, to go to a private school. And I just was interested in whether or not that was a solution to any of the problems that I was writing about. And it was just sort of a back burner idea. Okay. And then um, and then turned into a book. Okay. And when something turns <laughs> into a book, obviously there's an awful lot of uh, uh, footnotes that uh, get involved in terms of all the research you do and so forth. So let's talk about what you have found out as a result of having done your book in terms of, let's talk about what, what really means, what, is, what does a public school mean? What does private school mean? What does charter school mean as insofar as what you have found out? Well, just the basic definitions, you know, public school has traditionally been um, secular, it's been free, and, you know, it's supposed to be open to everyone. Um, Obviously, there's, you know, there's some exceptions to that because we have special admission schools and and such, you know, magnet schools. Um, But that's the basic definition is secular, tuition-free, and open to everyone. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, private schools have a lot more leeway from the government. You know, they're not they're not required to do the kind of accountability measures that public schools are allowed to do. And they can obviously offer religious instruction, which is a mm-hmm. key difference. And then they're typically paid for by the family. And then a charter school is kind of a public-private hybrid in a way. It's um, designed as a public school, um, but it is free from school district control. It's more autonomous. And the idea there is that they should have sort of the ability to be um, more innovative and perhaps more responsive to parents in a way, um, but but to be outside of the control of a district, but still publicly funded. Okay. Now, when you started your, your research and so forth, um, and in the book it starts this way, it talks about Excuse me. School choice and desegregation in the uh, in the years uh, right after Brown versus Brown Board of Education. What did you find out about uh, uh, the result of Brown versus uh, the Board of Education? Well, in the years leading up to Brown versus Board of Education, um, Southern Democrats in the in the South. Um, could kind of see Brown coming down the line because there had already been some cases um, that were that were requiring desegregation at the university level, and they did not want you know segregationists did not want desegregation at the elementary and the secondary school level, and so they started putting laws in place to basically privatize the school system if it became necessary you know if they were forced to desegregate the schools and so school vouchers was part of that other things were as well but school vouchers was one one sort of tool that segregationists came up with um and it was it was basically as almost a last resort for white families so that they could pay for um all white private school but with public 
money mm-hmm. and 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 it was referred to as sort of uh an escape valve um so that was one of the key things that segregationists came up with in that time period some states you know put laws on the on the books and then never used them and then a few states really actually had school voucher programs for you know for that purpose for quite a while virginia had one for about 10 years mm-hmm. louisiana had Louisiana had one for for a number of years, and then the court struck them down eventually um, because they were pretty clearly designed with racist purposes. Mm-hmm. Now, and in the uh, in your book, you did talk about some people. Let's talk about the Milton Friedman, the economist, for a moment. Uh, what 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 is his uh, role in education? Milton Friedman uh, was a conservative economist, a Nobel Prize winner, and he. He was interested in school vouchers fairly early on, largely from a market standpoint. He thought that there was a, a public monopoly on or a monopoly on public education, and he thought that that was a bad system, essentially. And he thought that um, you know if you had education available sort of on the marketplace, that that would be better. And so he suggested using school vouchers for that purpose, that all families, regardless of income or need, should be able to use, you know, a certain amount of money to buy their children's education in whatever way that they essentially saw fit with certain minimum standards that he talked about. Um, And he, you know, he was proposing that idea a year after Brown versus Board of Uh Education. So at at the same moment that segregationists were already proposing the same idea um, for racist reasons. Milton Friedman was saying that everyone should have this. And he was he was aware at a certain point in the, the process, he wrote an essay uh, proposing this. At a certain point in the editing process, his editor made him aware, you know, that this is happening in the South and kind of pushed him huh. on whether or not he, he really wanted to propose this same idea, but mm-hmm. in, in a slightly different fashion. And um, and he he went ahead with it, and he he said that he was not in favor of segregation, and that you know he was he was actually deeply opposed to segregation, but he thought that that the idea was still valid. Okay. Now, how about Virgil Blum? Uh, Virgil Bloom is um, he was a priest. He's a lesser known figure in the history of school choice, but he was a priest in in Milwaukee. Around the same time in the 50s, um, also talking about school vouchers, but for religious reasons. He wanted, you know, he was a Catholic priest. He wanted religious families to have the ability to attend religious schools without without being what he thought was basically penalized by paying tuition and also paying taxes. And mm-hmm. he thought... He thought that was an issue of religious discrimination, and and actually he's a very interesting figure because he was making arguments about religious discrimination and and uh, school vouchers that now are being supported by the U.S. Supreme Court. But he was he was decades ahead mm-hmm. of his time in that sense, and so he's a really interesting figure, kind of a um, bit of a curmudgeon personally. He was not the most effective. Uh, spokesperson for his ideas because he just felt so strongly about them that he had a hard time with people who disagreed with him. But but he's an interesting <laughs> voice in it. Okay, let's talk about vouchers, which is another big time, uh, big big term item these days. Yeah, 
Yeah, vouchers are, are now everywhere. And at one point in time, they were kind of considered a fringe idea. And now mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, it's one of the, the big topics in education over the last few years. Um, now, there's been a, a silent push uh, to provide some kind of government aid to uh, schools, religious schools, and so forth, because they were struggling in the 60s and 70s. But um, And Reagan was an advocate for vouchers. But um, the first school voucher program apparently happened in Milwaukee in 1990. What can you tell us about what that meant? So the Milwaukee story is a really interesting one because um, Governor Tommy Thompson was a Republican, kind of an ambitious Republican, and he was interested in school vouchers, and he had proposed a couple of voucher uh, ideas, and it just went nowhere because, you know, the state legislature was, was uh, largely Democratic, and so his ideas were sort of dead on arrival, and um, and he, he began to realize that he would need support you know, in some other fashion in order to make this happen. He reached out to the Milwaukee School District at one point, sort of seeing if they could do a small pilot together, uh, maybe for at-risk students. Uh, But what ultimately ended up happening is that a uh, state Democratic lawmaker, Polly Williams, uh, became interested in the idea over time. Um, Polly Williams... She's gone now, but she was a she was a very polarizing figure. She was a black nationalist. She was a Democrat. She was deeply interested in education, and she was very disappointed with the Milwaukee Public School District. She mm-hmm. thought that they were they were not serving black students well, and so she she tried a number of different things to sort of push for improvement in that school district. She also was opposed to uh, busing and to integration policies that mm-hmm. she thought you know, put the burden on black families and she didn't think it was that those policies were having the results. And so she, she came on board with this idea of school vouchers as an experiment and she was interested in it very much for low income children and for low income black and brown children in particular. That was sort of like strange bedfellows at one point, right? Because she was involved with Tommy Thompson. Yeah. 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 She agreed with him on just about nothing um, <laughs> politically, but but she came to work with him on this issue because she thought that it might push the school district to improve. And also, Milwaukee had kind of an interesting um, uh, an interesting history with independent schools, mm-hmm. where when there when there was white flight in that community, some of the some of the schools that had been, like, say, a Catholic school that had been predominantly white, over time, some of these schools turned into independent, secular schools that were primarily uh, attended by black and brown children, and they were very well regarded in the community. And so they had these schools available. And so in Polly's mind, you know, a, a school voucher might allow some families to attend those schools who couldn't otherwise afford them. And so she was willing to team up with Republicans on that issue, even though politically they were very far apart on all these other issues. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, since uh, the pandemic, things have changed in American education. Uh, school choice perhaps has become uh, you know, more prominent in everywhere. Um, I'm trying to figure out at this point where you think American education is at this point. In well, you know, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, 
I guess what I'm trying to get is this. I was a teacher for a number of years in, uh, up in New England. And in our school, for example, over 70% of the kids went on to a four-year college. And uh, we only had one, I think we had one school that was a, a, a religious school in town, but that only had about 50 or 60 students. Beyond that, everybody came to our public school. It would serve five towns in the region and so forth. So, you know, my, my experience with teaching at that point was, was pretty good. And uh, yeah. when we left teaching, it was only primarily because at that point, the state of Massachusetts was going to start controlling to a large degree what it was you were going to teach. And, uh, you know, in terms of teach towards an exam. And that really didn't bother us a great deal. So we came to Florida um, for other reasons as well. But down here, it's been an amazing thing to us to watch what happens with, uh, with education. And uh, I think right now, I think parents and uh, um, those of us interested in education here in Florida are, are being buffeted all around the place for all sorts of things that are happening. I, I sent to you a thing that had to do with, uh, I think it's uh, 109B, a law that is being proposed that would now make it possible for anybody, to, a group of people, to go to a, a, um, a state group called the uh, Charter School Group and say, gee, we want to have a, this, this private, this public school turn into a charter school. And uh, we'd like to have that happen. And if the, the uh, state thing says, yes, go ahead and do it, uh, and all taxpayers would still pay for the cost of that public school now being turned into a charter school. And, you know, that sort of thing I think is, is not going to set well for a lot of people. And I notice what's happening right now is that I'm on the list to see when it's going to be discussed in the various education committees. But it may turn out to be one of those things that's famous in Florida. And that is, in the last two days, suddenly things are, are passed that they've been talked about in public before. So who knows what's going to happen there. But, you know, what I'm thinking in terms now, when you look at uh, public education, uh, the chances are, I guess, public education is not going to disappear. But is it going to get to the point where we have charter and private schools take up an awful lot of people uh, who normally would go to, to uh, uh, public school? What do you think? Well, it seems, I mean, it does seem like it's its heading that direction. Milwaukee is sort of an example of that, mm -hmm. you know, after having... After having a pretty robust school choice system for, you know, 30 years or so, um, you know, they now have essentially a three-tiered system of education in the city where you have the school district, which is still, I believe, the largest player, but has been declining in enrollment for years and years. Mm -hmm. You have um, a you know, a good-sized charter school sector, and then you have a, a really good-sized school voucher sector, and, and that is essentially how that system operates there. Yeah. You know, that's, that's sort of one of the things I was grappling with when I was doing the research and writing the book was, was this idea of, you know, okay, so the majority of American kids still go to public school, especially if you're counting charter schools in that. You know, charter schools have been a, a really um, impactful reform in terms of numbers of kids um you know but so i was looking at sort of what are the ways that this has really changed the system of of education in this country and one of the things i was really struck by was just how different it is now from state to state you know i mean mm -hmm. i grew up in washington i grew up in washington state um which is really 
you know, it's a blue state. I grew up on the eastern, more conservative side. But there's some charter schools, and that was hotly contested. And there's really only, I think, maybe 16 charter schools in the whole state. Um, so most most kids are still going to traditional public schools. I think private school enrollment is up with the pandemic. But, but overall, you know, it's still a lot the way it used to be when, when I would say the movement sort of started in in the 50s as I started in the book mm-hmm. um, but in Florida you have in Florida you have something completely different and in a number of, of red states you have something completely different and you know when I went to I went to Florida in October for a book event in St. Petersburg and while I was there I toured a micro school mm-hmm. and it and it was sort of astonishing to, to see this in action, you know, because this was everything essentially that I'd been writing about is sort of where this movement is pushing education, where all of these, I think 80%, the director told me, 80% of the kids there are actually homeschool children, and they come in, you know, once or twice a week for certain classes that they essentially mm-hmm. buy, ah. you know, um, with, with public dollars because they're using the PEP. And... Um, and I just thought this is such a change. It's such an astonishing change mm-hmm. from you know from the 1950s to now. Right. And that that's one of the things I thought about is just this effort that I think has been extremely successful by conservatives, largely by conservatives, to sort of redefine what public education means. And you know, Governor DeSantis has talked about that. He made some waves a few years back yeah. by saying by saying that that. Any, any education paid for with public dollars is public education, which is a very different right. understanding. Yeah. It's a very different understanding of public education than has traditionally been the case. But I think that when you're looking at a place like Florida, I mean, that, that's actually kind of true at this point. You know, mm-hmm. you have a lot of kids getting, getting what is essentially a public education because it's paid for with those dollars. Yeah. That is that is not the traditional model anymore, and right. so I think I think we're in a really interesting place as far as that goes. And you know, depending on it's such a polarizing issue. Either that's a, a wonderful development for some people, or it's a horrifying one for others. But right. but that is the case now. I want to ask you one quick question here: Have you heard from any public school officials about your book? Public school officials. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of what well, reaction pe- to pe- it, pe- or people, people who are principals or vice principals or, or or even teachers, what have you had any response from public education regarding your book? Oh yeah, I mean, I've done a number of book events, and and it's it's fun because most of the audience tends to be people interested in education, and so mm-hmm. in 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 Seattle, I had a group of teachers drive over from Bellevue, which is a bit of a ways in that in that traffic there, which was I thought really really cool, really special. Yeah. Um, but ev- everywhere I've been, I've had principals come and teachers come. I went to Kentucky. I think last month it all starts to blur together now. Early last month, I went to Kentucky, and that was really. Um, kind of amazing I did several events there and the the largest one I did a Q&A and then they had a panel afterward of people mm-hmm. who were who were for and against choice and they they kind of debated after my talk but mm. I think 75 people from the school district um, from the Jefferson County Public School District came to that mm. and wow. um, and yeah, yeah and they yeah. gave everyone a 
they gave everyone a book, the organizers gave everyone a book, and then I got to go to the school district for a little bit of time and talk to the superintendent who had read the book and his cabinet had read the book. And yeah, it was really cool. Mm. Um, so yeah. it's, it's neat to see that. Everyone kind of has their, you know, different reactions right. to it based on, on their view. But it's, yeah, it's really cool to see that. I'm going to have one final question for today. I, I said maybe we'll do a second one at some point and I'll be in touch with you. Uh, about that but for right now let's end today with this this what can the average parent or person here in pasco county do in terms of understanding where what education is what that seems to be happening in the schools and what how should they get involved that's a good question i mean i think it depends on their viewpoint obviously some people like i said are very much in favor of everything that's happening and some people are opposed but you know i i was i'm an editor now but i was a long time reporter and i think i think showing up to school board meetings and reading the newspaper and trying to be engaged with what's going on is incredibly important regardless of where you you know where you find yourself on issues i think just that level of engagement if you can do it is is wonderful i went to a lot of school board meetings over the years where there were like the same three people in the audience so it's nice if you can find a way to be involved and aware of what's what's going on and then i think you know if you're interested in public education then you know going to the schools and looking for ways to help and be involved is mm -hmm. always a good thing you know there, there's that's there's always things that schools need um and and there's ways to be involved so i think that's also a positive thing to do okay okay well i want to thank you very much for your time today kara and um I will be in touch with you in case I want to try to do a second one. I may wait to see what happens in terms of the legislature, and then we may have to, you know, see what's going on. I'll fill you in with what's done, and then we maybe have a conversation about that. But thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, good luck to you in education in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Bye-bye.